Good afternoon. You're listening to Scarif Bay Community Radio and this is Local Media This Week, the programme where we have a look at the Clare print media and we see what's in the papers this week and we chat about it and uh, maybe we will you'll get some um, inspiration to purchase uh, the Clare Echo or the Clare Champion this week and we're very strong uh, supporters of the Clare print media because they're they do a wonderful job here in County Clare, and uh, long may they last. Uh, most of our team we have today, uh, Pat O'Brien. Pat, you're very welcome. Thanks, Jim. And uh, David Fleming. David, you're welcome back. Thanks, Jim. Uh, we have no John S. today, unfortunately, but uh, off the bench again is uh, Luke Fleming. Luke, you're welcome. Thanks, Jim. You're getting great practice. I, I want to keep the bench warmer, I think. <laughs> would be my preference. Yes. Okay, I suppose looking at the um, one of the, the things that has dominated all news media this week are the tragic events uh, last Friday week in, in Crestland, County Donegal. And I suppose there is a piece there, David, in on page 22 of the Clare Echo. That's right, by Ronan Scully. We don't often talk about Ronan Scully, but he, he, he's the thoughtful element of the of the Clare Echo and he's just pausing to reflect on the God wasn't it an awful tragedy and I mean every single one of us are talking about it with whomever we meet because it is so tragic we're, we're so not used to these sorts of episodes happily we're not used to them but when they do um, hit they really do hit and uh, I think Ronan there is talking about um, just reflecting on the whole thing and looking at it from a spiritual side as well. So I suppose uh, we, we should, we ourselves obviously extend our sympathies um, to all those affected in Donegal. Um, and it can take some time for people to recover, I think. Yeah, and it's been such a hard week because day after day you've had funerals this week. Yeah, you have so. we have to, we have 10 people have, as to be uh, buried this week, and just uh, just just have the just uh, to say the way, the way the thing thing happened. It is very sad, but anyway, yeah. may, may and, the rest of us. And of course, uh, a certain amount of people mm. that uh, are, are injured as well. Uh, that That's will right. Take a long time. And we don't think of those at all, I suppose. I have a lady over there. Somebody, I don't know the lady. Somebody over there that had ninety percent problems in their body after. Yes. It's just it's just terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. So, so we, 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 we send them all our condolences anyway and hope that they, they get over in, in, in time. In time. Okay, on the front page of the Clare Echo Pat, uh, Eddie Lenehan. Um, Eddie Lenehan, a well-known character here in County Clare, well-known storyteller, and uh, he's a bit disappointed. Yeah, Ireland said to lose Lenehan's archives. Uh, Parliament man has a story here on the front of the vehicle. Uh, Christine Shanaki Elena has voiced his disgust with the lack of interest from his Irish from Irish institutes in the culture in culture as the United States of America they have to get their hands on his near five decades collection of stories. No Irish institute has expressed any interest in housing his collection, which is not surprised which has not surprised Eddie, which is an item. Eddie told the Clare Echo, it is, it's disgusting, especially when you see all the money glittered away on nothing. I did the work willingly. I met the most powerful people and helped their stories. 
And that was a privilege to do. And the fact that people in Ireland are not interested in the collection, which are happy to spend money on nothing, is disgusting. What do you mean? What, do, <laughs> what does he mean, um, spending money on nothing? What does that mean? I, 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 I don't really know. Is he, is he talking about the universities? Wasting, firing money, hand over fist, um, David. Uh, well, um, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be able to have the archives that we have without spending the money. But um, I've been curious about this story, and I've been following it on Twitter as well. UCD folklore, which is the biggest collection of folklore and stories in the country, it's the national repository, um, responded to this tweet from the Clare Echo. Uh, the Clare Echo was reporting this story uh, on, on their Twitter machine, and they said that uh, they were never approached that nobody came knocking on them on their door and that they might be interested had they been asked. So is, is Eddie here just waiting for people to be asked? Like, I mean, it's usually the other way around. And I know from facilitating okay. these things with, with UL, people will often come to you and say, what should I do with this collection of papers? I was... Um, just last summer, or maybe two summers ago, I was invited up to a big house in Sligo, and they had a massive collection of uh, historical papers going back two, three hundred years. Very important national collection. And they just asked me, you know, what should we do with it? You know, we've had it for generations, but now we feel it's time we need to do something. And is it important? I told them it was important, and I told them immediately they should contact, and I gave them certain institutions, starting with the National Library of Ireland, and they've ended up in the National Library of Ireland. So Eddie, Eddie I would suggest, should write a few letters to different institutions um, and see if they'd be interested. But if you read page four of the article that Pat was referring to there, um, the, it's the front story, but it continues page four. Three American universities have approached him, which is grand, but at the very end he says, First refusal will be given to Eddie's son, Owen, he confirmed. There could be another twist. My son, Owen, has expressed an interest in the collection. So, I mean, you can't have it both ways, Eddie, is what I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, yeah, if he was going to give it to the son, why, why, why would he want <laughs> to give it yes. to the universities? Yeah, it's, just, it's a bit funny. But I suppose, you know, if it, it should be put somewhere where yeah, it, it's like, accessible and, and... Yeah, seriously, he's done, he's done very important work in collecting all these stories. And I think it reflects the 20th century and people in the future, scholars and researchers, will be interested in these collections mm -hmm. wherever they are. And that's the other thing about um, scholars and researchers. They will go, whether, and of course, if, we, if it ends up in America, somebody will get nice little expenses to go to America mm. to see it. Yeah. But um, it does make it harder, though, for members of the public. But uh, is it lots of Eddie's stories about fairies and Limerick and Clare and Galway? And it is. Yes. Neat and open. It is. But, but I think Pat people be interested in that. Yeah, Tell me, David. Let's take a let's suppose Eddie's collection is, is taken in somewhere in Cork or wherever. Uh, how accessible is that? Are, are the, is the material transcribed? Is it scanned? Is it put on microfilm? Is it put online? Or does it vary? It varies a great deal, uh, Jim, because all of that costs money. The universities and the institutes, like the National Library, the National Archives, they're happy to take these things, but if they don't get any additional money to digitize, the Census of Ireland is a nice good is a nice example. The National Archives got a lot of money to do that, 
uh, or the Bureau of Military History stuff that is all now accessible online. That was sitting there for a long, long time in, in these mm -hmm. collections, but it takes a lot of money to digitize and to catalog and to do all those. Mm -hmm. Accessible to anybody, and sometimes you have to go in and just go through it because it hasn't been indexed. Mm -hmm. but, but the, uh, the ideal well, is that plain. it would be digitized or that it would be indexed yeah. or catatalogued. Just painstaking work, I'd say. A sure. lot of work, a lot of work, mm. yeah. Okay. And he's talking, Jim, I mean, he's talking there, for 47 years, he's been obtaining thousands of hours, thousands of hours, can you imagine it, of unheard recordings from people of all ages. So it's a massive project. Now, the good thing is, if it does end up in an American university, they have loads of money, generally speaking, and they could put the resources behind what you're talking about. Mm. So, I mean, for the ordinary scholar or person interested, it might not matter where it goes. Exactly. Okay, Luke, I noticed there you were looking at page 16 in the Clare Echo, where a story, I think a story that emanated from Clare FM uh, about our local authority, Clare County Council, and the whole question of consultancy fees. Yeah, so again, this is one that uh, we have broached on numerous occasions and uh, it relates to you talking about value for money and the, the fact that nowadays it seems that nothing can be done without a consultant and it's a bit like then there's a consultant for the other consultant, you know. But there's data obtained, uh, Forex writing about it there, data ob obtained by Claire FM that uh, the local authority in 2017 spent 1.6 million on consultancy. And that figure has gone from 1.6 million in 2017 to 5.5 .5 in 2021. And uh, of note in relation to that, 580,000 on the Shannon Bridge crossing, 540,000 on Inish Culture, which is Holy Island, 512,000 on the Cliffs of Moher Visitor Centre, which I find a little bit ironic, seeing as I thought that was built about maybe 10, 10 12 years ago. Mm. What are they doing spending that amount of money on it mm. at this stage? You know, but they're big, they're big figures. Now, they, they, the Director of Finance and Support Services says that, you know, the consultancy and professional fees in 2021 uh, to the revenue amount was 742,000, 0.88% of non-pay expenditure in 2021. You know, 0.88% mightn't sound like a huge lot to me. I think it's a lot of money that I, I, I would query the value for money of a certain amount of, of that. Like only recently, you know, and we're going to be coming on to it when we're talking about Shannon Heritage, haven't they indicated they put you know, a 600-page document produced in relation to the issues in relation to Shannon Heritage? Now, that would fix a few slates on Bunratty Castle. Yeah, uh, and to attach a few roofs, I, I, I'd, I'd hazard a guess. In the Vogue Park. Yeah, so. I wonder, just in relation to that, we said the Shannon Bridge, does that account, let's say, presumably they would have to ha get an architect to design the bridge or get a firm of architects. Are, are we talking about that? No, 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 no. This is people coming up with reports on reports and re different reports. Like, you, you go back a few years, there was 950-odd thousand money uh, given to the Inish Caltra project, and none of that was for actual uh, building. Yeah. It was sort of consultancy and a few reports, you know, on yeah. sort of uh, underwater activity near the island and species and bits and pieces like that. So yeah. there'd be a certain amount of work that would be done, but to me... The figures seem excessive. 
Mm. The uh, just as Luke mentioned, the Inish Caltra one, which was five hundred forty thousand. I mean, we did report it. We're we're probably talking about it without actually realizing that all the whole consultancy thing, and you know, what is the message that Inish Caltra? What what story will be told? That's all done by consultants. Mm. It's not done in house. Um, they say the council says because they don't have the experience or the expertise. And so they probably do have to go outside. Um, you know, they, they, I, be curious. I suppose there's a lot of environmental stuff um, that they get consultancy that even though they have an environmental department in there. Yeah, that, that's, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's, I, it's, it's an interesting question. And I, the councillors seem to be asking, you know, they have asked a few questions about it, but... The chief executive, Pat Dowling, at the end of Porig's article, which is the other side of the equation, said the local authority will, quote, always try to find value for money and efficiency in what we do. It's a measure of the, wait for it, it's a measure of the productivity and innovation we're displaying as a county. We always need to look at our internal resources. We've gone from buying houses to building houses. The requirement for consultancy continues there. So I suppose the point is, because they lost actually the expertise of building council houses, social houses, they now have to buy it in. Mm. That's only one example though. Yes, it just strikes me though that um, if any of us had a business and we were doing some expansion or taking a new direction, I'd imagine none of us would spend half a million or whatever on consultancy fees. We just go ahead and do it. Mm. Um, are public bodies more prone, when they're not spending their own money, to spend it on consultants? Well, I, of course, I work for a public body, the University of Limerick, um, and we would, I think we've spent very little. The people that we need are external legal advice. That would technically, is that a, are we consulting? We're consulting. Are they consultants? Not really. They're lawyers. I think we get occasionally consultants to help us with um, HR things like strategy, but um, we, I, we wouldn't be spending those amounts of money now because mm. generally we do have the expertise in-house. Yeah, mm -hmm. costs gone up three folds in four years from 1.6 to 5.5. Yes. Yeah. I think that tells its own story. But I think it's, it's important that it's being highlighted and they might, might just think twice Maybe. Will they? I remember I we were, when I was in school, we were applying for a planning permission to, for a development. And the, the council came back to us and said they wanted a consultant's report on planting around the school. Right. Uh, so what I did was I did a thing with the children where they designed the whole area around the school, school yeah. with, on, with their maps and yeah, things yeah, yeah. and sent that into the council. But no, that won't be. I was, I was hoping you'd say that they had accepted <laughs> they, they it. They did not accept it. Because <laughs> you've got a not to do it. You've got a girl not to do it. Oh, yeah, but you'd, you'd pay someone yeah. 500 euro and they'll oh, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, is a con that would be a consultant, a consultant. wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. that's okay. the thing. Yeah, we, you'd imagine the bridge in Killaloo. Uh, why would you go spend uh, 580,000 and you're not even putting yeah. a line on a, on a, on a piece yeah. of paper? Well, you get, get an architect to me to. And, 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 and then you can imagine is the same being spent on the Tipperary side you would have to think you so would, yeah. Hmm. But, yeah we don't have time to go into it but when hmm. I did look online there was an awful lot of detailed 
work like ground rock, bedrock, all that, yeah. and they probably don't have that, those sorts of skills in mm. the council to a certain extent. Um, and the environmental impact, all of that yeah, sort of thing, yeah, yeah. I imagine, is what the consultants are paying for for that, for that mm. amount of money. Okay, I can see David Fleming um, enjoying himself today when he picked up the, the Clare Echo and looked at page five and said, uh, Shannon is competing with the Mediterranean, not Dublin. So I, I, you're winding up, David. <laughs> well, it's rare that I agree with Ryanair, that Ryanair agree with me. But, um, but the, the, the uh, what is he? He was the commercial, he's the director of commercial, uh, director of commercial with Ryanair, Jason McGuinness. He was visiting Shannon. Uh, last week because they've just announced two extra flights which uh, we'll get to probably in a second but they've, he's, he's, there's a, he's pictured there in Porig's article uh, with a little placard which says 35 years of growth and investment in Shannon Airport and obviously Porig asked him the question that we've always debated about which is um, you know why don't why, 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 do, why doesn't Shannon get a bigger share of the pie and why does Dublin get it? Well he's after responding here that Shannon is not competing actually with Dublin. Shannon is competing at a European level and of course it's from his point of view, from an airline's point of view. An airline is not thinking nationally, it's thinking internationally, it's thinking European if you're Ryanair. And he's after saying um, I know that's, uh, he said, uh, I know that's a Shannon or Dublin question. The question asked was, um, speaking to the Clare Echo, McGuinness explained that Shannon is instead competing against the similar sized airports outside of Ireland when it comes to Ryanair planning for the future. And he says, it's not really the way it works. Ryanair is operating to almost 40 countries and 225 airports. When we look at capacity, Shannon is competing against the likes of Valencia, Bologna, Seville, it's not really a Shannon or Dublin question. Shannon will continue to grow, I've no doubt, but it, but it given the sensible long-term deal we have here, we will continue to add aircraft and continue to add routes. It's not a question of Dublin versus Shannon. It's a very competitive market, given that the airline industry and aviation has structurally changed in Europe. Now, gentlemen, I don't know if you remember, but I've made a very similar case to you before about this, that um, airlines like, like this are not too interested where, where they get the people in. It's the deals they have. And Ryanair, if you read between the lines, if you actually read the lines, Ryanair have a nice little cosy deal there with Shannon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you, you, I, I agree with a certain amount what you're saying, David, but I, I, a little bit of personal experience at the weekend. I had the misfortune to have to fly back into Dublin Airport Sunday night. Um, and got a flight from Stansted at 10 o'clock and Dublin Airport at a quarter past 11 at night is probably as busy as I've ever seen Shannon with the amount of people in the arrivals. It was unbelievable. You see, it was very busy. But, yes, but my point is I, I was trying to get a flight back um, through either Shannon, obviously, uh, Knock or Cork mm. from London. And the latest flight that leaves on a Sunday back is half five in the evening. Yeah. And that was no good to me. No I needed to get yeah. a, a later flight. So I think there's potential, a little bit like we'll say with um, Aer Lingus and the Heathrow flights, you know, yeah. we'll say with the time in yeah. one in early in the morning, one late at night. I think there is certainly potential that uh, for maybe, you know, to 
be able to accommodate people that might want to, you know, go out maybe on a Friday morning and come back on a Sunday night. I'd entirely agree you with know? you. And I, like, I would hope, being a resident of this part of the world, I want as much connectivity out of Shannon as anywhere as, and as anybody. But I think from a Ryanair, Aer Lingus or all, all the other people, they, they're they, and they know, and they never reveal the statistics. That London flight from Gatwick, Luke, hmm. you came from here. How many people came from Galway? How many people came from Dublin? How many people came from Belfast? And they're able to look at those. I think that's the way they often... I yeah. could be wrong about this. I, said, I, I got a bus back down, yeah. David, right? Yeah. And I'd say there was about 30 to 35 people on the bus yeah. and about 25 of them got out of the hurlers in Castle Troy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, are mm. you telling me that they wouldn't fly back into Shannon? Of course they would. Oh, they would. You know? But now they're coming from oh, multiple yeah, no, flights. No, no, I understand that. But yeah. they were all at... Uh, they, yeah. but, but the majority, yeah. you know, the, I'd say the majority were coming from Stansted. But look, listen, we... As I said, if it wasn't for Ryanair, Shannon would be screwed yeah. totally. And uh, so there's good news. But there is there, there is good news. New, and Newcastle and Bezier coming coming uh, next year, and with the thoughts that there may be a few more to come. And the other good piece of news on page six related to Shannon is you can fly to Chicago now, Shannon to Chicago to take flight. Uh, it's United Airlines, and that's a real sign now. Whatever about Ryanair, Aer Lingus, <coughs> to see international American airlines like this, the United Airlines, which I think is American-based, um, um, deciding to set up shop to fly to Chicago. And exactly. that's seeing an opening there, because I think Aer Lingus used to fly to Chicago. Now they don't anymore. Mm. And I think they've seen an opening. So let's yeah. hope it's well supported. Yeah. The, the mayor and all the, the Clare crew that travelled out to that festival there a few months ago, obviously it has borne fruit. Yeah, we given out about. <laughs> oh, we weren't given out about it. We, we I might have been. been. Yeah, David yeah. might have been. But, but <laughs> I, I, a little bit like you said, show me the money, show me the results, yeah, and the yeah. results that, are that, here. That yeah. Shannon Chicago um, route was, was, was only five days a week before COVID. Now it's, it's going to be seven. Yeah. Seven days a week. So, so let's hope it, it works. Yeah. And, and uh, I heard this morning that uh, there's a, a very big pickup on it. Maybe. Yes. Is yeah. it just to let people know, just in case you're thinking of booking now, the flight starts only May 26th, 2023. So we'll have a wait of a little while. But um, for next summer, and Chicago's a beautiful city. Mm. I definitely recommend Chicago. Okay. Yeah, the, the ultimate irony of it, I think you could say, is that, you know, why wouldn't Aer Lingus bring it back? Well, if Aer Lingus brought back a flight to Chicago, you know, maybe they might have to do somewhere else and maybe they'd have to bring a base back to Shannon. So that probably won't happen. And you could look at this and say United are probably looking at that and said, we'll give it a go, see how we get on. Yeah. And the very best of luck to them. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and just And the, and the, and the um, uh, are expecting to announce more more um, flights from Shannon before Christmas, according to the yeah. to Mr. McGuinness. So. And we'd be so delighted to hear it. Yeah. On page nine of the Clare Champion this week, there's a, a full page article there. I must say I was very depressed after reading it. Um, it's it's gust in time. The, the headline writers in the Clare Champion are, are, have been busy. Ireland needs to harness the winds of change. Uh, you were referring there to earlier the, the executives in Clare County Council saying they you know they do good planning get good value for money there's lots of things in this article that would indicate otherwise there seems to be no planning at all well as we alluded to it would say this country doesn't do planning at all it's not just the Clare County Council uh, issue but there there are some very uh, pertinent points in this article in my opinion um, 
The current draft county development plan has a target of 550 megawatt uh, additional onshore wind energy capacity for the period 2023 to 2029. To reach that target, we would need three to four times the existing number of wind turbines in County Clare. And you can judge uh, how challenging that target is by looking back at the last development plan from 2017 to 23, which is the current plan, we'll say. The target then was 500 megawatts, and of that, 153 only has been installed. Now, if you were to look around Clare over the last number of years, lots of people will tell you, Jez, there's wind turbines everywhere. But you said, if the target was 500 megawatts, they've only put in 153. Mm -hmm. That gives you an idea of, we'll say, the lack of... Um, How yeah. far behind And are. just, it's a very... We, I definitely recommend to everybody listening to us, if you don't know anything about wind turbines, as I don't know much about it, this will educate you. Oh, absolutely. Um, a, a, down at the bottom, there's a lovely green box, when the wind blows. A, a wind turbine can generate one megawatt of energy. So if Luke has well, mentioned... That, 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 she's given the example, David, of, of a one megawatt turbine. Yeah. Okay. It's not that it can. They, not, the newer ones nowadays can generate a lot more. But, right. But if, if you say that on average it, gives a, it creates an average of about 0.3 of a megawatt annually yeah. over the course of a year. Over the course yeah. of a year. But just in the context of what Luke is talking about, 500, we need... We need 500 megawatts, don't we? Um, and one um, of which 150. So that gives you the scale of it, and you can kind of work it out in your head. But she, this is Bridget Ginnity, and we don't know what her background is, but um, it might have been useful there to tell us she a little bit. She, she has a few ethics in, 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 on the champion in the last few in years. The, in the last on, few on, years. On yeah. all that type yeah. of stuff. Well, I would say that yeah. for anyone that sort of doesn't know or has read a little bit about it, who wants to educate themselves in relation to, we'll say, the winds of change, as they say, wind energy, emissions, the whole thing. It is one of the best articles I have seen written in plain, simple English in a long time. Yeah, no, you're right, Luke, you're right. Yeah, yeah it is good, yeah, yeah. Mm. She makes the point at the very start that the Danes, a small country on the periphery of Europe, a kind of periphery of Europe, are much more advanced than we are. And I think it's a fa I've said it here before, I think it is a failure of successive governments back 30 years that we, we are so behind. We're behind the Scots, we're behind the English. Um, they've all developed offshore. Now, that's not to take from the point that actually 40% of our power now comes from wind, but it could be a lot higher. Mm. And, uh, you see, the Danes have... have enough power for twice the population of the, of the country. They're exporting it, just yes. yeah. 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 But like but we said, sorry, Pat. I, I see there on, on my phone, I was, and there's, a, there's an app there for wind energy. And I see in, in, in Scotland, in the deepest water, I know it was in Europe and the world, and they have um, 55 of those uh, wind, wind turbines out in the, out in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they're getting actually, they're, 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 getting, they're uh, improving the, the the amount of, of power they, they can generate. Yeah. yeah, like the turbines that would have gone up, you know, years ago compared to what are going up now. Now the turbines are bigger that are going up nowadays, but they are capable of generating more. So technically, you could say less turbines physically for the more same energy. for more energy. I would say the the 
the plan that got planning permission, we'll say in East Clare recently, we'll say from Board Planola, that I think is down to 19 turbines, whereas initially they were looking for 24. But they were able to say that because of increased uh, size of the turbines, they could, they, they could generate more. But if you just look at this, um, Offshore wind is a major element in the National Renewables Plan with a current target of 7,000 megawatts installed capacity. Now, without boring the ass off of everybody, about 7.5 um, megawatts is the capacity of the grid at the minute, or that's our energy level usage. So you're saying this would be literally... You Double. Know, well, it would be probably replacing a certain amount of you know, oil and coal, yes. but that, that's what they're looking to do. And the... The Shannon Estuary identified as having great potential for a floating wind farm with the advantage of being close to land and the grid. And the, the plans for wind farms were generating capacity of up to 1.5 gigawatts at money point. Right? So that would have been, you'd say, maybe 25% of that 7 megawatt, you know, of that, of that uh, total that they were looking to do. And the, the various companies that have pulled out of it due to lack of... Uh, uh, regulatory issues, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically the, the government, aka the politicians that we pay to sort of go and do a job, doing nothing. Mm. And slightly ironic that we'll say we do have a green, min yeah. a green minister there yeah. at the moment. Now I, I'm sure he will argue that this all takes time and all the rest of yeah. it. But, there's, but there's, the, ch the problem is we don't have time anymore. No, no but we didn't have time 20 years ago. No, Dave. we didn't. You said what I seven think turbines off the Arklow Bank in 2004. Yeah, yeah, and that, uh, it would be curious to know how long it took for that one. But we are tied up with constitutional rights around property and land and procurement rules, some of which are EU, some of which are Irish. But we have to declare, we either have to have a referendum to get rid of the constitutional issues, or we have to pass legislation to bypass. If, if we believe that we're in a crisis, and look at, look at the moment, um, the, the crisis in energy. Sure, we, we declared an environmental crisis back in 2017. We did. We did. Mm. But, um, there, so, there's no indication that work has been done. If there is work going on, it's very much Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, and very slow. There's a bit on Claire's contribution. Uh, I'll go on there from where Luke had it from 500 megawatts to 153 has been installed. But from a, from, from a search of Clare County Council planning website, it seems that 8 out of 11 new wind fare applications were refused from 2011 to the present. So we don't have many wind fare projects in the pipeline. Mm. We yeah. object a lot to them, of course. Yeah, most a lot of people don't like them, and it's, if, if there was a wind farm behind my house, I might object to it as well. But um, that's why I think the whole question, and she puts it herself, land or sea. That's or, or it, sea, sea makes sense. Sea makes sense from that scenic point of view. Local communities will not be too upset, I'd say anyway, if, if it's, it's out to sea. far mm -hmm. out to sea. Okay. Yeah. Listen, the wind, we wind, clear wind energy strategy. Yeah, clear ahead. wind energy strategy, which is no longer fit for purpose, it is will not be updated until the long-awaited government wind energy guidelines are finalised. An unfortunate consequence is the planning applications have have become more and more contentious. More of that later. So you will see with see with efforts to move into offshore wind generation. So it, it looks like that the, the government are, are, are way behind in the. Yeah. Outlining our guidelines as well. Okay, we're talking about energy, talk about heat, and we'll a minute or two maybe before we go for a break. And Clare County Council have uh, had uh, some heated debate 
in relation to the taking over of the Shannon Heritage uh, sites. Um, I suppose it's, it's something we've covered loads of times and there's no huge news on it, I suppose, nothing, no, no major breakthrough. No, it's, but, it, and I, but I think it's, it's frustration now amongst the councillors, but particularly one councillor who, like a dog with a, with a bone is the impression that I get from Owen Ryan's um, uh, article in, in the front page of the Clare Champion, tempers flare over transfer of Sharon and Heritage sites. He want, Councillor Flynn proposed to suspend standing orders of the council in order for an emergency debate on the question and he proposed that we, uh, either the government give a 15 million euro loan or they won't and if they don't um, let's borrow the money is what he what he was going to say but that motion to suspend standing orders never got off the ground his other councillors really tore into him on it by the sounds of the debate um, I think there was a certain element there where the mayor wasn't present uh, at, at that meeting and there, uh, there was the lady that was uh, taking sort of his, his position may have been put into a situation where she mightn't have been 100% au fait with the, with, with, the procedures. with the procedures and I think that things just sort of got a little bit out of hand very, very quickly. We don't see it too much in the council chamber, but um, there was attacks on all sorts of councillors, not physical, but uh, verbal attacks. And also the, the, ch the chief executive officer was targeted as well by Councillor Flynn. Hmm. Um, and he was saying the, that there was meetings going on in private and that uh, this should all now be out into the public domain. And so it certainly... It certainly was heated, um, but will it do anything is the question. Well, hopefully it, it, it will, if there's talks going on behind the scenes. I was talking today to uh, somebody who works in Bunratty, and they were telling me two things. One is that it's absolutely flying since COVID and since yeah. flights have come back in. Yeah. It is really, really busy. Yeah. But the staff there are worried course there uh, about yeah. their future of course in, with all this going with on. the uncertainty around it and I can okay I can kind of understand the council's position but these especially Bunratty is a going concern the other ones need a little work they don't bring in as much money um, from a financial point of view they're important from a heritage point of view but uh, Bunratty is uh, is always going to be the the gold mine mm because it's well known, it has a reputation, and the bus companies and all these agents will, all come will always come. But these are historic buildings. They therefore take a lot of money to keep up. Um, I, I don't know where, I wonder where this will end. Like, will they, they probably will get a couple of million, won't be the 15 million, and they'll just have to take it. Like, will they be able to refuse it? I sort of query where the 15 million figure is coming from. Maybe it's all the consultants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will break for uh, half time here. Pat, have you um, you've been working on a little bit of research to produce the music for us for today's show? John Lennon, he would be 82 on, on Sunday last, so if he was alive, so we'd have hey Jude from John Lennon. From John Lennon. Okay, great choice, Pat. Thank you very much. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. 
take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart, then you can start to make it better. You're very welcome back. Hope you enjoyed uh, Hey Jude um, by John Lennon and the Beatles. Fabulous, fabulous uh, group and wonderful output of music back in the 60s and early 70s. Now, one thing we looked at last week and there was absolute pandemonium among people to do with the rates. So today we, there's a kind of a follow-up story on page three of the Care Champion and apparently all the panic that uh, took place um, wasn't really justified at all. There was no need for it, Lou. Uh, this is another example of cor well, council, uh, how would you say, national people and organisations gone mad. Owen Ryan writes very well on it there on page three. And uh, the recent revaluation of commercial properties around Clare has ca caused huge confusion. Councillor Pat Hayes claimed that the council meeting on Monday, and I'd say that was, I'm not sure whether that's in or before or after they had the row about uh, uh, the Shannon heritage. But the figure being quoted, apparently, uh, to rate payers, which is the figures that were sent out to all the businesses last within the last few number of weeks, is the valuation of the property. <coughs> it is not the commercial rate liability. So. This is where you'd start to say, well, then why did they not send them out the commercial rate liability? Because you would want to know what's the figure you actually need to pay. Because most people looking at that, they get a, bit, a figure, that's what they need to pay. So now what you need to do, and, and this is what baffles me, quote, you need to take that figure and multiply it by 0.25 or divide it by 4 to get an indicative figure of what your commercial rates liability could be. Yes. Well, what are we doing? <laughs> so, so if Pat O'Brien owes you money and you send him an invoice, you won't actually put the figure that he owes you. You'll put an another figure and give him a mathematical puzzle yeah. to work out before he figures out what he owes you. Yeah, it's nuts. It's completely nuts. And it is, it's, 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 it's the valuations office in Dublin now, as the, as the director of finance for the county council was very quick to point out, is not coming from the council, it's coming from the valuation office, even though the rates are collected by the council um, and not effective until 2024. But it is an example, as the headline says, Poor communication. Hmm. Yeah. Unnecessary nonsense. Councillor yeah. Joe Colleen criticised the level of communication from the valuations office saying that they could have made it clear that the valuation does not equal the rates liability. Quote, the initial shock could have been avoided. Yeah, that and I, I know Joe and he's a man with his two feet firmly on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so he's That's about the most sensible words issued, I'd say, in the council chamber <laughs> in the last week. Okay. Yeah, but then put a lot of pressure on people. I, I have the... Uh, a business in Inner said that the rates has gone up 330 percent, and and the, 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 the lady was on on care of payments. She said that she said that rates are paid. She said we we just have to pay the bill. So so no, it's just putting putting. I agree with you, Pat. I agree with you, Pat. But p when 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 they want to put up the property the local property tax, Pat was all in favour of it. And you're and you saying that the council provide great services, Pat? Didn't you say that? Isn't this what the rates are for as well? That the council provides great services? Yeah, but no, no. If it's for a business, no. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying is that they should have given, given proper, given, given proper information to the people. Yeah. And that's well, I agree with you. I agree. Well, with speaking you. of the roads, maybe, and maybe the look at her consultant, Pat. 
<laughs> Speaking of the roads and the roads around O'Callaghan's Mills, we'll see a lot of tractor activity, uh, Pat, on the, coming up. Oh yeah, the, the, there's a, um, uh, a tractor on, on Sunday next day, and um, it's on page and, 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 and my, my, my yeah, paper. It is there. covered anyway in the character. Yeah, it's in the, it's in the paper there. Uh, um, it's, it's a native Limoroni uh, memorial tractor one. And um, his son Declan is, you know, just here on page four of the Chantron. Yes. Declan sheds, pounds to, and, uh, sheds the pounds to pound the streets of New York for charity. And um, um, he's going running the, on the New York Marathon. And um, also, there's a tractor running in Okalahan's Mills on Sunday, and it's at the Mills Tavern, and it's going on from Antichola. But I can brought from the back to Callahan's Mills. And um, all, the, all the money um, raised will be gone for um, cancer um, research. And um, so I suppose just, um, they can took on this challenge of the New York Marathon anyway. So he has lost a lot of weight and he's hoping to, to complete it. So we wish him the best of luck. It is all for good cause. Very good. Okay, and also on page four in the Care Champion, just under the piece there about Declan, is uh, Rosie Foley. I see you have that there open, uh, David. Uh, Rosie Foley that we mentioned, I think, last week, the week before, uh, some remarkable swims. We did. We mentioned her in the context that she had swum, uh, swam um, around Manhattan Island. Um, but as a result of that, and as a result of the English Channel swim, which she did, and uh, the Catalina Channel swim in 2022, she is to receive a fantastic honour to be inducted into this marathon swimming, Ireland Marathon Swimming Hall of Fame at the ILDSA, not sure what that stands for, awards event in Mullingar in November. So only about 35 other people have got this accolade, it says here, according to Dan Danaher, um, since 2018. So it's a remarkable achievement for her, but it's very much well-deserved. Can you, like, who else have done yeah. all of these um, types of swimming? It, they are really marathons. Like, let's just remind ourselves, she's 49, She's done 33.5 kilometres of the English Channel, 45.9 circumnavigation of the Manhattan, uh, of Manhattan, and 33.5 uh, of the Catalina Channel swim in 2022. So, I mean, it's, that's an amazing success. Yeah, there's another lady from Kilroche. I think she's, she's coaching now as well. She, uh, she'll be older now, and she, she has done it before as well. As well. Yeah. A Welsh lady. Yeah. But um, just there, so Rose's husband is in Scarif. He's a farmer, Claire, Andre Scholler, and Yes, there, Pat, Pat Minogue. And her son now is on the Irish school team and panel for the, on the rugby team. But I mean, the other thing, besides the personal challenge, the other thing to mention is that she often does these swims for charity. And she is currently helping to raise more than 50,000 euro for charity um, as part of these continuing efforts. So, I mean, it's not just, a lot of people just do these to challenge oneself to see if they're able to do it. But she's actually doing it for good causes as well as the she's, personal challenge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I suppose on to the next page in the Clare Champion, page five, and there is a concern, or page six, there is a concern in Tulla. Um, the, the council have concerns relating to uh, 
the housing in Tulla or in relation to develop, housing development in Tulla, uh, developers looking to build 36 new homes on a high-profile site in Tulla have moved to address concerns by planners over piecemeal development. So presumably piecemeal development is uncoordinated bits and pieces around the place. Um, and I suppose Tulla has had its fair share of development over the last while. Does anyone have any... Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, building, as we all know, has and is going on in around Tulla. Uh, you know, as I said, Tulla is, is rapidly becoming, I think, the centre point of East Clare. Mm -hmm. um, and we say Fiona McGarry writes about it there, as you said, Jim, on, pa on page six. Uh, <clears throat> there's, uh, on foot of submissions, I would say during the public consultation phase, four submissions were made with concerns over the proposed boundary as well as potential pedestrian access on, onto lands belonging to a third party. So then planners requested further information uh, uh, with details on the proposed connectivity between the site and the town's main street and they expressed concerns that the development might not comply with site zoning. Now the site is zoned for residential development but it states there is a specific site objective that connectivity is created into the town centre. So I'm wondering, is that like a footpath into the town centre? Is it a road into the town centre? Or what exactly is it? Hmm. So revised site layout plans have been requested. And uh, we'll say Woodhaven recently submitted, uh, Woodhaven are the developers, submitted a detailed further information response, inclu including a new civil engineering infrastructure report and some revised de designs. In their reply, they rejected concerns that the centre—sorry, that the estate would be in any way disconnected from future developments or from the town centre. They no noted the current plans were submitted as part of a master plan for the site and the surrounding zoned lands. They pointed out that the site has been zoned since 2017, while other sites in the village have been dezoned. So. It's, uh, they outlined that the master plan aims to create a vibrant neighbourhood with mixed tenure. The company added that the layout proposed two future pedestrian cycle access and egress points linking to the existing laneway to the main street. So just looking at that seems hard, uh, a little bit hard to sort of see where's the issue with access to the main street. Yeah, mm. uh, that, that, that's you probably know that area, Pat. That uh, development is is at the town side of the, the development that's going on below on the, on the former second place school site. Yeah, at the, it's in there between between the in the there's a there's a site in there, and I think it's in there that's going. So, as for all these things, it's after about in time as well. You know, look, um, they, they are send out for more more clarification and mm. more and, and you've got to be. Although yeah. it is remarkable the the amount of building in Tala that it is, yeah, it is yeah, really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, coming on, yeah. even though the centre of Tala is still yeah. a bit derelict, but mm. the, the mm. population but is, is, it, is it not just indicative of a, uh, an area that has a sewage plant and what could be done in other mm. towns yeah. and villages around the country, yes. uh, sorry, around the county, mm. if same was there? I mm. would hope um, that Tala and places like it, particularly the places that are vacant, um, that the vacant property tax will move people to either sell their properties or rent their properties or do something about it. Yeah. Because it is people sitting on property for the most part. Mm. It is, yeah, it is. Okay, on to uh, the East and Southeast Clare page, page 13 of the Clare Champion. Uh, a story there, Scarif mother and daughter lauded at Faroiga conference and it was, 
It, co it concerns uh, Tracy Doyle and her daughter Jane, and uh, they're long-term volunteers with Scarifaroiga, and uh, they were um, lauded up at the uh, Tullamore Court Hotel in Offaly last weekend um, at, at a, a function there. I think Minister Roderick O'Gorman was present. So, um, yeah, I know Tracy and, and uh, Jane very well. They both have appeared several times on Scarif Bay Community Radio, and um, they do fantastic work for, you know, a lot of the young people mm. in the East Clare area, particularly in Scarif. Yeah, David Corman was the keynote speaker there at yes. the event. Yeah. Yeah. He lives in Ogunlo, yeah. 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 He's the, just, I, I don't know much about Faroga, I have to say, but um, according to the piece, uh, Faroga Youth Club will be able to offer a full experience, including a space to meet friends and make new friends. There will also be trips away, mobile film making, photography, discos, table quizzes, games, art projects and much more. And more details are available from Faroga Scarif, that's F-O-R-O-I-G-E, Scarif with two R's and two F's, at gmail.com. Yeah, and they meet in Scarif Rugby Club, their original yeah. building. And there, mm. there are a number of youth clubs around mm. in East Clare. Mm. I mean, uh, there, there was one in Budaik, Tumgraney and Gunnow, I think. There's a very active one in Flagmount. Mm. And, and in other places around, mm. the, you know, so mm. there are organisations and youth clubs that cater for young people. Scouts is another one. Yeah. Um, so great work is being mm. done. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know this man now, uh, Pat, I don't know if you knew him, Michael uh, John Quigley, or Quigney. Yeah, Michael John, he, uh, he, well, I, I didn't know him personally, but I know when to see him, who he was, and that he, he, he died there recently, and um, there's a tribute paid there to him from the Tuller paid pipe band. He was involved in the, in the pipe band and he was also in the athletic club in Tuller. And uh, he was a great athlete and um, won a lot of uh, cross country titles with the Tuller club and team titles with Tuller over the years. And I suppose he had, um, he had a long association with the, with the pipe band. Yes, yeah, so. Mm. He was buried there recently. Mm. Another young man um, from. Whitegate on page three of the Glare Champion, uh, Fiona McGarry writes the piece, and uh, John Kelly's photograph goes with it. And uh, this is Donica Hayes, and Donica hasn't cut his hair for a few years, so his hair is very long. And uh, John Kelly's photo there shows about uh, eight or so uh, of his classmates uh, in Mount Shannon School, uh, all armed with scissors, ready and willing to do the job. Yeah, it's a, a great article there by Fiona, and it's great to see her acknowledge. Uh, we'll say that uh, Donica we'll say did an interview on Scarif Bay with Trish and Marie on the Saturday Chronicle, and that was broadcast the we the weekend of the Scarif show. And uh, we we'll say it states that Donica also told Scarif Bay uh, Community Radio his reasons for donating to two charities, and we we'll say he set set it up a, a GoFundMe campaign, which is uh, raised over four thousand eight hundred euros. And like if you listen back to the interview with his mum there, they started off and they hoped they might make a hundred and then they said, oh, we might make two and then it was a thousand that went up on his bill. But uh, I said, you know, he, he, uh, he and his family have been through an awful lot and fair play to him. Yeah. And uh, the event is going to take place 
uh, at Koshnahona on November 13th, yeah. which is uh, was in Mount, in Mount Shannon. So they have, and they have 4,800 raised already. So yeah, it's, it's fa fabulous. It'd be more yeah. It is, it is yeah. fabulous. I mean, we often wonder about young people, as old people tend to do, mm. but uh, young people are full of energy and they're committed to their own projects and this is for dyslexia the dyslexia association of Ireland yeah, and the children's grief center yeah but like for for a 10 year old david will say is to grow his hair for three years so yeah. that his locks can be made into wigs for children with cancer and there you are you see mm -hmm. you know yeah. like yeah. a like, fantastic you know sign of a young man absolutely. who has his head in the right place exactly yeah, yeah. and absolutely. he deserves great credit he does indeed okay Lovely. Anyway, that's Donica. There are a number of photographs. Pat, one photograph that you were particularly taken by. And, and, and you know, Pat, I thought it was going to be the picture on the back of the sport page uh, of the champion where uh, the online pundit, is what he's now known as yeah. Buff Egan, who, Buff Egan. He, he's a Kerry man as far as he's I know, man, who's yeah. mad into the hurling, and he, and he loves clear hurling as well, yeah, so he <laughs> he's taken a selfie there, well John Kelly has a picture of him taking a selfie, because I actually saw his online picture that, that he took, yeah. but, but that's not the picture uh, that you want to talk about. Yeah, that one was with, uh, with Clooney, Clooney Quinn won the minor, yeah. the minor clear minor championship, which was going back to his tail I suppose. Um, there's a lovely photograph here um, by Eugene McCafferty in, the, in page 40, 16 of the sport. And uh, um, it's this big picture uh, to do with um, the county ladies' football final, which the Banner ladies won for the 15th. They won the 13th crown in 15 years. And anyway, it was only done big last Sunday. But there's a lovely photograph here, and there's mud and water flying in all directions. I and mean, the, and Pat, the ladies standing for the ball. Pat, it looks more like rugby to me than Gaelic football. What would you think? Yeah, it looks like they're, they're, all, they're all standing for the ball. But, but it looks fair wet, doesn't so it? It's great to get the picture the way, like, yeah. with all the. I mean, look at the mud flying mud up off the ground yeah, at, the at, at all angles. Yeah. Yes. Mm. You yeah. know, fair play to them um, for playing in those sorts of conditions. conditions yeah. Yeah, it is a wonderful photograph. And just looking at the uh, couple of pages I had on page uh, 13 of that, uh, Dwayne, um, Robert Dwayne or Duane from Tulla, Tullaman, and he won the Northern Ireland Sprint Championship title uh, up in uh, Kirkstown last weekend. Um, great, I, I haven't heard of him before. Um, but obviously yeah. he's he's a taller man and he's doing well at the. And this is race race car. There's a picture here by Gary Gregg showing the car he drives or drove, and it's one of it's one it's one of these race. What do you call these cars? Uh, it'd be a junior formula. Is, is what they are, David. Yeah. I I don't have the name of the man off the top of my head, but we'll say one of the international or a feeder into the international series, an awfully man has won the Formula uh, Formula 4 championship and we'll say you go from form, you can go from 4 to 3 to 2 to 1 so a young 17 year old up in Offaly so right. we'll say fair play to him but fair yeah. play to Robert in relation to that as well so yeah. mm -hmm. a ni nice photograph there by Gary as well so yeah so great good to see a man having success anyway uh, Irish seat savers as well page 6 Jim on yeah. page 6 of the car champion Champions. pass and they're uh, making the headlines as well. Yeah, a clear project showcased in book about cultural heritage. Uh, Fiona McGarry has the story there on page six of the champion. Two clear projects featured in a new book celebrating the value of our 
diverse cultural heritage. Both the XPO in Kilnabai and the Irish Service of Scarab are documented among 15 case studies from all around Ireland as examples of best practice in sharing and promoting cultural heritage. They feature in a book uh, entitled Other Stories in Cultural Heritage and Society, which will be launched at the Irish Seed Savers in Tapparoo on this Thursday, October 13th. The publication was commissioned by the International Council on Monuments and Sites um, in Ireland, whose aim is to foster appreciation of cultural heritage on the national and international stage. The Scarab Venue is one of the five uh, chosen for a special book launch tour. So. Yeah, very good. So uh, I must say I've been become a fan of what they do out there um, because we have recorded a number of programs. I'm, I'm one them. step ahead of you. I'm actually a supporter. Oh, good I'm man. a member of it. Um, uh, but uh, I, uh, they do great work. I mean, if it all goes belly up in terms of nuclear disaster, we'll be relying on organisations like Seed Savers to, to get us going. I again. hope we never have to do it. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Finally, congratulations to Brian O'Connell. Uh, an Ennis man, a journalist who has won a gold award at IMRO, and uh, to our colleagues in Clare FM, uh, who have, uh, they have won a silver award, and it's, uh, Luke, you tell me, it's the fourth yeah, consecutive year. There are four top three, basically, which basically means they're in the top three radio, commercial radio stations in the country. So Great. So that's congratulations. Congratulations to, to all in Clare FM, and particularly to those involved in that work. Okay, listen, we're um, we're nearly there. I'd say we're we're coming to the end. We're over there, Jim. We're over there. <laughs> My thanks uh, to Pat O'Brien. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Jim. And to David Fleming. Thanks, Jim. And to Luke Fleming, uh, who put in another sterling performance today. Yeah. All right, thanks, Jim. Uh, Pat, have we got a piece of music to we'll finish? We we'll finish up with um, Dean Martin and a little old wine drinking me. Okay, Pat. I can see you there. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much. Uh, we'll see you again next Sunday. With the help of God, goodbye and God bless. I'm praying for rain in California.